So that worship was really great, wasn't it? Y'all did so good. Yeah, y'all did great. Amen. Yeah. It's still good. Amen. It makes you feel good, too. You know, there's nothing wrong with worship making you feel good, right? That shouldn't make you feel bad. <laughs> you know, you know, feelings are kind of important. You know, you can't always trust your feelings, but you know, if you're worshiping the Lord and you're feeling good, I would say trust that feeling that the Lord is touching your feelings. And so, how many people feel like they? How many people feel? <laughs> how many people would like the Lord to touch their emotions this morning? Your emotions are so important and vital. Just keep your hands up for a minute. And I'm going to pray for your emotions. And the reason I'm going to pray for your emotions is I desperately have needed God to touch my emotions in the last month because I've been so jet-lagged and thinking such crazy stuff. Then I got a sinus infection on top of that, so I was really thinking crazy stuff. So I had a rough ride there, but Jesus is good, isn't he? He Father, thank you that you have given us all these wonderful emotions. Even anger is emotion that you have given us to express at times. Thank you, Lord, that you want to be the Lord of our emotions. And we invite you to come right now and touch the emotions of people in this room. Touch them and heal them. Lord, I pray for hearts that grieve and have lost a lost a sense of joy and lost a sense of hope and lost a sense of anticipation. Just pray you'd touch those hearts right now. Heal, heal them, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who've, who've just worked so hard and have served you tirelessly, Lord, and, and they're, they've gotten a little crusty feeling in their hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd just remove the calluses off their hearts right now in Jesus' name. Let those hearts be refreshed and renewed. Those who've suffered with sickness, Lord. Lord, we know how sickness can just wear us out and, and cause our heart to get tired. I pray for those people who've suffered with illness, chronic illness, uh, just, or just sickness, Lord. And those who have cared for people who are sick. I pray for them, Father, this morning that you would heal them. Heal them, Lord. And Lord, those who've just been sorely disappointed in their lives, I pray for them right now, Lord, that you would heal their disappointments because you are a God of, of new beginnings and new hope, Lord. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, I've, like I said I've been feeling like I've been living in this underwater for the last month. You know, sometimes God allows you to be put in situations that best you can do is just get through the moment and you feel like you're, you know, you're not, you don't really have any re- reality in your heart about what's really happening with it. But then when you get through it, you begin to realize that God was with you the whole time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And that God works deeper things in you in those times, you know, and he reveals himself to us in a different way when we go through those times. And so that's sort of what I've been doing. And, uh, one of the things that the Lord really started talking to me about um, is is my heart. And um, I remember years ago, I had like a series of revelations that were major revelations, like life-changing revelations. The first one was a revelation of the empowering grace of God. That's a revelation everybody needs to get. You know, let your heart be established in grace. If your heart is not established in grace, you are in for a rough, rough time. Yeah. You know, a lot of people uh, think they have a revelation of grace. They do. They have a revelation of salvation grace. But there's this grace that establishes us. There's this grace that enables and empowers us. Uh, and that grace is a, really a revelation of the person of Christ because he was full of grace and truth, right? So any revelation of grace, grace is manifold, uh, is really a revelation of the person of the Lord Jesus and his life, the life of Christ in us. But it was interesting 
that revelation opened the door for another revelation. Of course, at the time, I didn't know. I was just sort of stumbling through life like I'm doing now. I'm stumbling forward. I don't know about you. You know, you've heard that leadership terms about falling forward. You know, if you're going to fail, fail forward. Anybody know what I'm talking about? At least you're taking ground. Right? If you're failing, just fail forward. At least you're taking ground. Well, that's sort of the story of my life. I'm stumbling. Anything I've gotten from the Lord, the truth is, I feel like I was just standing at the right place, and there was a door there. I was sort of like leaning on the wall, and it would turn out to be a door. I fell into this room. That's, that's how it works in my life. I'm, it's not like I have this grand plan. But this great revelation came to me one day about my heart. And I got it from 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul talked about how not to lose heart. I thought, that's what i got to know, Lord. You know, i got to know how not to lose heart in life. And you know what the answer, his answer was? He has this amazing answer. Because we see the invisible, we don't lose heart. I'll never forget, read that. I can remember this day reading that and thinking, really? (laughs) How in the world... How in the world, Lord, am I going to do this because I have no clue how to see the invisible? I guess I'm just doomed to losing heart. Once I got through all that kind of talk, I realized that's the secret. That's the secret to living a life of not losing heart. It's right there written in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Read it. It changed my life. And I began to ask the Lord about seeing the invisible. And, you know, I never really thought myself to be prophetic very much. I think anybody's prophetic. If you're a Christian, you can be prophetic. You all may prophesy. That's what the Bible says. And So I sort of always, you know, my revelation of the spiritual realm, the heavenly places and visions and things really came out of that scripture. It came out of a place of not wanting to lose heart. Because I was losing heart in my life, in my Christian life. I had just felt like I was losing heart. And I began to really cultivate a a hunger and a desire to see what God sees and not see what everybody else is seeing. You know, in other words, you know, I don't want to walk in a room and see what y'all see. That's my opinion. I don't know what y'all see and I want to see something different. You know, I want to see what God's seeing. And God has taken me on this amazing journey of, of learning how to see the invisible. And, you know, the prayer uh, that Paul prayed in first, uh, or Ephesians 1, 17 through 18 is that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you could see, you could know Him. And so yeah, that's an amazing prayer. If you'll begin to pray that prayer, God will answer that prayer. That's an awesome prayer. Um, I will never forget the time, sitting in church one day, I've shared this before, but a lot of you weren't there at that time, a lot were here, there, here, there's here, uh, and the Lord spoke to me during worship, this is clear as a bell, he asked me a question, Byron, is this, is this what is in your heart, and I said, not really, not really, Lord, because I didn't really like what we were doing at that time, because I felt like we had become... You know, this is the way you do worship. These things happen. That means God's moving. And I didn't like that. I couldn't stand that. It was too predictable to me. Anything when it starts becoming real predictable to me, I'm thinking, I'm thinking God's not in this because I can figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) I have this love-hate relationship with the mystery of God and God doing stuff that I could never figure out. You know, I love it on one level, but I hate it on another level because it drives me nuts. But when I realize when I get into this, these predictable patterns in my life, I can't, I don't, I realize I can't live this way. God didn't design me to live this way. He didn't design me to live in a predictability that I can predict everything's going to happen. I know what's going to happen before it happens. You know what I'm saying? I want to live where I'm anticipating God to do something for God to step in and do what God does. You know, which means I always have an agenda that I've got to keep throwing out the door. And we've said this many times. Our greatest days at church is when God wrecks the agenda. Like, the, oh, the agenda's out the window because God has come and he, He's got a different agenda. It truly is our greatest day. But it can be frustrating at times. 
Well, that's the, that question just launched me into this whole new, uh, new realm of living from the heart. That's what it did. It caused, it provoked something in me and, and, and really set me on a different course in my life. And I can tell you that course has led me into a lot of awesome things that I got years later. Um, let me read this one scripture here. I'm going somewhere with this. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Everything, everything in your life begins in your heart. There's another Proverbs, Proverbs 29, it talks about a man's face being reflected in water. That's the, as a man's face is reflected in the water, that's the heart reflects the true man. You see, that's, we talk about identity, and we talk about genuineness, and all the buzzwords that are used in Christianity's None of them work if you're not being who you really are. If you're not really connected into the person inside of you that God created you to be. Are you following what I'm saying? And that's your, that's your key to success. That's your key to victory in life is, is finding that person in you. That person inside of you that God created and God designed and God made uniquely. When He made you, He threw the mold away. He made no one else in the world like you. Even though I went to China and saw, I saw Eric Starr in China walking down the road one day. He just looked, he was a Chinese, Eric Starr. <laughs> you know? But there's only one Eric Starr, really, when it comes right down to it. And so finding that person and being that person is a glorious journey. It's the glorious journey of the Christian life. Okay? It really is. And it is never a journey that we come to an end on. We never come to the end of that journey. We come to the end when it says we see Him, we would come like Him when we see Him face to face. Up until that moment, we're always on the journey. And so for some people, that's a frustration. For most of us, it is because we want to we achieve the goal and then move on to something else. But there's not, the goal is ongoing to become the person that God said you were. And the person that God, when He thought of you in His mind... In eternity past, when he thought about you and said, this is you, this is who you will be, this is what I put you on this earth for. It's a mighty thing to just begin to discover that. It's a mighty thing when you can say, I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to copy everybody else. I want to find that blueprint that heaven has designed for me, and I want to live that, and I want to live that to the fullness. And it is true, I will learn from other people. I will glean from them. I will see things in them that speaks to my heart. But I'm not going to be them. I'm not going to copy them. And so that journey will lead you into fullness if you are willing to go there. It's a messy journey. Sometimes I don't want to be around people in their journey. Because I don't want to hear the things because I discovered this and living from the heart, I discovered the heart is full of hurt. The heart's full of everything. That's why it says guard it. The heart, the heart is wounded. The heart is hurt. You can't get through life. I heard a professor at a graduation yesterday talk about the students. They're all wounded and they're all hurt. I'm thinking, praise God, there's Christian professors that are seeing this in these young people. And can covertly and overtly, how do they do it? Speak life to them. And keep, take a job as a professor to keep the godless people out. Take their spot so you can speak life over these young people, whether they know you're speaking life to them or not. That's what God is interested in doing. It's a noble calling, you know, to be a teacher and have a chance to speak into young people's lives. Anyways, um, we've had people who sang songs in church that were, Lord mercy. But then you go read the Psalms and you go, Lord mercy. Because the Psalms, if you ever read some of these Psalms, like, good Lord, what in the world is wrong with them? I mean, literally read some of David's Psalms. They sound, they rough. They're rough because he's outworking something. He's expressing something out of his heart. You know, he starts out rough, but most of the time he comes to a good conclusion. Most of the time he comes to a glorious conclusion. And that's what living from your heart is. It may be rough at times. It may be difficult at times. You know? 
And at times, you need to use wisdom, and you don't need to expose everybody to your, your vomits. You know, I'm not just throwing my stuff out there for everybody. I promise you that. And I throw a lot of stuff out there. But I found in my heart a lot of things that God had to deal with. And a lot of, I needed a lot of inner healing. I needed a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, freeing from strongholds in me to really live from my heart. And that's why we emphasize, you know, sozo and, count, you know, it, counseling. All that is really valid, valid things that people need. Our goal, obviously, is the one-step program, right? One step, you're free, completely healed. Now go do your work, you know, like Jesus did with the, the demoniac man. Well, we're chiseling away on the steps. Let's get it down to, you know, there's a 12 step. Let's get to 11, to 10, to 9, to 8, to 7. You know, we get more and more authority and power as we, as we press into these things. Well, there was this song. Um, anybody ever heard of the singing group from the 80s called 38 Special? Is anybody in here? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of it. All righty. Well, there's this song they have called Second Chance. Anybody know Second Chance? Well, there's a couple of people. Well, I happen to love that song. I don't think Becky loves it. Because I have played it numerous times, and she seems to ignore it every time I play it. <laughs> well, the song sort of is, here's what the song's about, just so you'll know. It's about a guy who was not faithful to his girl. And it's his song of plea for forgiveness. His plea for forgiveness. Yeah, and he says this phrase, a heart needs a second chance. A heart needs a second chance. And that song speaks to me because I feel like I'm a, I'm a kind of person where my heart is in desperate need sometimes of a second chance. I, I feel like things happen in my life and I feel like I feel like I lose touch with what's really important. I feel like I lose touch with, with the person, with Christ, with, with the Holy Spirit, with the Father. I feel like I get off and I, I, I feel like I get away from who I am and and like what's really important to me. And I, it's like I have that cry in my heart, Lord, my heart needs a second chance, Lord. Many times it's not because sin, even though sin will lead you out there. Lots of times it's because I've wore myself out doing what God called me to do. And I got tired and I forgot to rest. And I forgot to pull back. I forgot to because I got so caught up in what I was doing that was so, quote, important. Maybe it really was important, but maybe it had been better if somebody else did it. Or it was just left undone for the moment. You know, but my heart, the Bible says your heart will get calloused from working for God. That's why Jesus would pull his disciples out of the, there could be a move, he would have a move and he would say, come on, get out of here, let's go, we're out. And there were these needs pressing on him, but he would not, because he knew if I don't pull these people away, their heart's going to get calloused and they're going to begin not to be able to connect with spiritual realities. Are you following what I'm saying? So, it's important that we do that from time to time. Um, so, and what happens, you know, is, you know, when you begin to disconnect with who you are, you begin to disconnect with the things that are really real in your life. A grief, tribulation, and trying times will harden your heart. It will disconnect you from reality. Okay, they will disconnect you from the things that you really desire. Am I talking to anybody? I'm talking to everybody in this room. Because there's been a season of trying, there's been a season of sifting, there's been a season of failure. People have seen their dreams evaporate. People have seen loss. Anybody know what I'm talking about? People have lost touch with themselves. They've lost touch with the secret, true desires of their hearts in many times because life has wore them out. Life has got them tired. And they found themselves lost with loss of vision, loss of dreams. Has any anybody been there? You know, has anybody been there? It's just what happens to you. That's, that's, that's what happens to us in life. And Proverbs 29, 18 says this. Y'all know that these are so great. There's no vision that people cast off restraint. 
where there's no revelation, where there's no prophetic insight or direction, people perish. People literally cast off restraint. They lose their purpose. They lose their vision. They lose their desire. They lose. Somebody told me recently, hey, Byron, I'm getting up early in the morning. That was a revelation for them because they never got up early. And I said, why are you getting up early in the morning? Because i got something to live for. There's something to get up for. Because they're reconnecting with themselves. They're reconnecting with something that causes them want to get up and live life again instead of sleeping late and not doing that. I mean, I'm, there's nothing wrong with sleeping late. If you can, I highly recommend it. <laughs> I just can't sleep late. I don't care what time I go to bed. I wake up the same time every day. I hate it. Like, please let me go back to sleep, Lord. I went to bed at 2 o'clock and I'm getting up at 6 again. That's four hours. I can't live on four hours. You know, that's the way you feel. So at 9 o'clock, I'm like, I need to go to bed because I know what time I'm getting up. <laughs> please let me sleep. When you don't sleep much, sleep becomes a great thing in your life. When you're sleeping for several weeks, four hours a night, you realize how important sleep is. Like, oh, Lord, I, I love to sleep six hours, Lord. That's what I was saying last week. Oh, I, if I could just sleep six hours, I'd be happy. I'd feel rested. Jet lag and make you, make you mess you sleeping up. So literally that means people miss opportunities that come into their life because they don't have prophetic insight or revelation from the Lord or a sense of God-given purpose. In other words, when people don't have a dream, when they've lost touch, they lose the ability to see things that's right there in front of them. They're not seeing the truth. They're not seeing what God has. That's what it means. And so they lose their purpose. They lose their dreams. And they begin to live life differently. And you live long enough for that, you will walk away from God. You won't walk towards Him. You will become indifferent. You will become lukewarm. Other things will become more important to you. God will go down on your list of priorities. You will become disappointed in God. You will become disappointed in the people around you. You will begin to see life in a bad way. You need prophetic revelation. You need... The ability to see something from God's perspective, to see your life from God's perspective. Otherwise, you are going to be messed up. Everybody, need, everybody needs dreams. I'm not talking about just the kind you have in the bed at night. I'm talking about those secret, sometimes secret, goals, desires that are important to you in your life. They're important. They're important to you because God put those things in you. And when, when they don't work out, that's when things, they begin, you begin to have problems. When you lose touch with those things, that's when you begin to have problems in your life. That's why you need to be your real self because you can't have somebody imposing a dream on you. You can't have people imposing things in your heart that says this is what should be valuable to you. You can't have that. That's, that's error. When the church does that, the church is in error. It's, not supposed, it's supposed to teach people how to connect with God, find themselves and find what's already inside of them, the treasure that's in them. You all following this? Because yeah. so, every person has some kind of thing in their heart. It's a dream or dreams. Every one of you do, whether you're in touch with them or not, whether you've lost them or not, they're in there because God created you. When He built you, He put those things in there. So when I talk about living from the heart, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about connecting with those things in me that God put in me. Sometimes God has to disconnect you to remind you of those things. That's why I say a heart needs a second chance. Because dreams really do give us a sense of purpose. A lot of times, you know, there's a lot of restrictions that, upon your dreams. You know, fear is one of them. Shame is one of them. Guilt's one of them. Like I say, hard work, sin, okay? These, these are all things that will lock, lock your heart down and lock down the thing inside of you. Well, are y'all just looking at me? Uh, let me read Ephesians 2.10. Everybody, know, These are such great scriptures, though. It says, we are His workmanship. Number one, there's your identity. We are His, wor His workmanship. God created you uniquely. Did you know the Bible says this? I found this out recently when I was trying to find out what the Bible said about unborn children, children in the womb. It says, your hand formed me. Your hand formed me. It says that in Job. In other words, every, it says it in Psalms also, every one of us, every one of us, we've been handled by God already. 
Before, when we were in the womb, God was, God's hand was being, was touching us. God's hand was at work making us who we are. Literally, every one of us, God's hand has been on you. His blueprint is on you. His fingertips are on your life. Whether you know that or not, the greatest thing that ever happened to you is for you to discover that the hand of God's already touched you and formed you. God's at work in these pregnant women right now. He's at work in them, in that little baby. He's doing things with that little baby right now that we don't see. Isn't that a beautiful thought? When a baby dies or a baby's aborted, okay, it's already had God's hand on it. God's already formed it. And so we're His workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, before we were born. So God has created something for all of us. He's put something in all of us. That's what it's telling us. A good work that we should walk in them. In other words, in theirs, so we're His in identity. It's, it's a dream. It's a purpose. It's a vision. And there's walk in them means there's time. He's given us time to learn this and develop this and walk this out. And He realizes there's going to be times in your life where you're going to come to places where you're going to need a second chance with it. You're going to head down that road, and then you're going to get off the road, and you're going to, God's going to, you're going to say, this heart needs a second chance. Boy, that's the best prayer you could pray sometimes. Lord, Lord, this heart needs a second chance. I need a second chance with this, with this thing, Lord. I need you to get me back to something, Lord. I need you to get me back to what's real. I need you to get me back to the, to the dreams you put in me and who I really am. Every parent has dreams for their child, right? You think about your children. Every one of us as parents have dreams for our children. God has dreams for us. Just like you have dreams for your child. God has a dream for you. And He looks at you like that. Like like we look at our children and have these dreams for them and we want to see them dreams come true. In the Bible, you'll find many people who had dreams from God. You know, Abraham had a dream for a son, for an heir. And that Moses had a dream for the promised land, to see this land, to live in this land. Joseph had a dream to rule and feed the world. Isn't that an amazing dream, to rule and feed the world? And he did it. Paul had a, had a dream. He had a dream to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to another race of people and to address the kings of the world with this unsearchable. That was his dream. That's what motivated him. That's what got him up in the morning. Was that, that's what caused him to go through hell and back. That's what caused him to feel like he was going to die at times, to get the opportunity. That's what caused him to be able to sit in prison and say, I wish I could be like me, except for the chains. He wasn't talking about just living their life. He was talking about, I want you to have something in you that would motivate you to be able to sit there in jail because it's motivating you. And to be able to sit there even in defeat because that's what I want. That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying all this other garbage that people want to put something on us. That's the gospel. That's what it does for people. It gives us something that's greater than anything this world has to offer. Like Becky was saying this morning, look out the window and say out there, you have nothing for me. My everything is in him. It's the truth. That's what you'll come down to eventually in your Christian life. Listen, there's all kinds of dreams. You know, you could have a dream for a house, a dream house, a dream car, a dream vacation. Those are not bad things. A dream job. But at the end of the day, them things won't satisfy you. At the end of the day, you'll be, well, it's nice having a dream house, you know, but somebody's got to clean the all good thing. You know, and it's going to fall, you know, shingles are going to fall off. It's not such a great dream sometimes. And the dream vacation becomes just a good memory. You see what I'm saying? You know, King David had the greatest dream I always thought. King David had that one thing I have desired of the Lord. One thing. If I could just have that one thing, just to be in His presence, to live in His presence, and to inquire in His temple. That was his dream. And he made that dream. He and God together made that dream happen. He went after it. That's another, another story. But all those people had dreams for their lives. And those dreams gave them purpose. Those dreams gave them passion. And those dreams gave them endurance to be able to see it to the end. Isn't that wonderful? Now, most of us 
truthfully, if you don't want to get down to it, are more interested in fulfilling our own personal dreams than we are the dream of God. What we don't realize is when we shift from just our personal, and I'm not putting down all that, obviously. I got some personal dreams, you know. You know what I'm saying? We all do. That's, we're created that way. We're, it's expected. But there's a greater dream. And the Bible says this. The Bible teaches us if we will connect into the dream of God, that connects us into destiny. And that connects us into fulfillment of everything. That connects us into the life we're desiring for the fulfillment, the hunger, the thing inside of us. Are y'all okay? Y'all are just sort of looking at me like, why is he saying all this? Well, I'm saying it to me. If, If it's not for you, it's for me. I desperately need this in my life. I desperately need it. Now, there's two, uh, I want to tell you this. There's two primary attributes about God's dreams, okay? So you can tell the difference between your dream and God's dream. This is important. God's dreams are always about the kingdom of God and the things that concern Jesus Christ. Always, period. Always. So if your dream is to have a dream car, and somehow that's going to fulfill some kind of a gospel mission, then I would say that falls under that. That's a good dream. But most, the God's dreams are always about seeing the kingdom go forth. That's his dream. That's God's dream. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His dream, let me just tell this. I hate to say this. His dream is not for you to have a good ministry or a good job or to make a lot of money. That's not God. That may be your dream, and that's good that you have that dream, but he has something bigger than mine. And the greater includes the lesser, but the lesser does not necessarily include the greater. Now, that's just the truth. All right, the second thing is... This is a thing that really kind of mess you up. God's dreams always takes grace to see them fulfilled. You can't accomplish God's dreams in your own strength. That's the terrible thing about this. God puts something in you that you try to do and you can't do it. You fail at it. It takes God. It takes God to see the dream come true and it takes God to, to maintain the dream, to keep the dream going, to live the dream. And that's difficult at times. It always takes God's involvement in the dream. Always, always, there's no exception to that. And once God is out of the dream, the dream starts collapsing. It'll go down the tubes, it'll end. You know, you can build, I mean, there's, you can build a dream house. I've taken a dream vacation, I've done that. Okay, it didn't really take God to do that. See, I, huh, well, Becky said, yeah, it did, so I guess it did. <laughs> well, sometimes it does, but you know. Anyways, let me read Acts 2.17. I'm going to get to the point here in a minute. Trust me, there's a point to this. It says, it should, it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I love that. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Certainly we're visions and dreams like the sleeping kind of dream, the prophetic dream, the prophetic vision. That's... But don't you think it includes the other kind of vision, your vision for your life, a dream for your life. So here he is. Number one, the Holy Ghost. This is a mighty work of the Holy Spirit. This is something the Holy Spirit does in us. It activates those dreams in us. It calls forth for those dreams in us. It speaks to, it's deep calling the deep inside of you. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will nag you about those dreams. He will pester you about these dreams. I had a young guy come to me recently and said he wanted to be a pastor. And I did everything I could to talk him out of it. Because I figured, if I can talk you out of it, you are not called. But I couldn't, at the end of the day, I thought, I think you're called. Because I have told you every negative thing I know about being a pastor and why you shouldn't do it. And you're telling me you should do it because you feel like that's something that's in you. That's, it is awesome. I believe he'll wind up being a pastor one day. God bless his soul, right? (laughs) Young men shall, and old men shall dream dreams. So the old and the young need this thing. They need to connect with the dream, the vision in their heart. I, let me just say something to older people in this room. You desperately need this. My generation is a bunch of thugs, man. I mean, we are the most lethargic people in the world. You know why? Because we had our dreams and they didn't work out or they did and we've accomplished them. Now we're done. We're like sitting on the bench Waiting. We've even left the bench, man. We don't even wait. God can't even call us into the game. We're sitting up in the bleachers somewhere. Or we've gone home. You know? Forgetting some of the greatest men in the Bible were old men. Because they had a dream for God. And they didn't quit. 
Oh, people, quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Get the dream. It just tells me that the Holy Spirit's not working in your life anymore. You're resisting Him because you have quit. How dare us quit on God? How dare us do that? God has a dream for your life. I don't care how old you are. You know, you may not be able to hop around and do stuff, but you can crawl around and do stuff. <laughs> you know, that's what I was doing last week. I was getting out of bed and crawling. Like, I'm going to crawl to the bathroom because I can't, I don't think I can get up. I don't think I can get enough strength in my legs. Well, I'll crawl there and when I get there, maybe I can get up and, you know, the urge will get me up. <laughs> it was a rough day. So I think as we go, grow older, dreams become more vital to us. Now, I said all this because somebody, somebody gave me a word for river life. Okay? And I read the word, and I was, then I thought about the word. Like, you know, I want to read it and just meditate on it. And I was kind of discouraged about my thoughts about the word. I began to examine my, why did I think that way? I want to read some of the word. I'm not going to read it all because it's kind of a long word, but it's powerful. This is what this person said. River life, I hear the sound of faith. I hear the sound of faith. Well, you know, the Smith Wigglesworth anointing. Right, Becky? Friday night. Becky felt something hit her hand while she was worshiping the Lord. And she heard the word Smith Wigglesworth. And she then went off praying for people. That's the sound of faith, man, because he was like a, if there was ever a faith guy, that guy was a faith guy. And he had, it, he had the fruits to back it up. The proof was in the pudding. I hear the sound of adventure. I hear the Lord is saying he's going to take you guys on adventures that are going to be out of this world because you are meant to live from a place of being seated in heavenly places. That's beautiful. Well, I can handle it. Yes, that's easy. Right? I hear the sound of faith. I just see the gift of faith on this house to dream. The gift of faith to dream. I hear the sound of dreamers. God, say, Lord, what happened to my dreams? What happened to my dreaming heart? That's when I said, this, i got to have a second chance here. That, ain't what, that was my first thing. That wasn't what I first said. Ooh, mercy, Lord. Ugh. I see people picking up the dreams of the Father that has put on their hearts for years past. But they have let go of them through circumstance, hardships, the normal things of life, and through what the enemy has done. Isn't that it? That's what I'm talking about this morning. I see dreams that have fallen to the ground, and I see the Father coming, and I see Him looking at people, and Him picking up their Him picking up their dreams. That's good, isn't it? Him, and giving them back to them. Wow! I see those who have been called as entrepreneurs in this house to actually pick up their dreams and start running with it. I see new businesses. I see them launching in new things that are going to be successful. And the Spirit's breath is going to be upon them. Isn't that a powerful word? There's more to it, but I'm, I'm not going to read the rest. Cause it's, but I'll just tell you this. My first, when I first read it, this is what I told the Lord. I hate to say this, but this is the truth. I said, you know, Lord, it's okay. I'm good with those dreams being dead. I'm good. I'm, I'm settled, Lord. I'm fine. I don't want, you don't have to pick them up for me. I'm, I've moved on, Lord. I've moved on. I buried those dreams. I forgot that. I let them, I gave them a proper burial. I gave them a proper funeral. I said a blessing over them and I said, I'm just going on with God. That's what I did in my life. I wasn't looking for no resurrection of no dreams, Lord. I don't really need a resurrection dream. I'm good to live on now. That's what I was telling the Lord. And then the Lord started telling me, well, that ain't right. That can't be me. You messed up. And that's when I began to hear 38 special. A heart needs a second chance. Suddenly I was saying, Lord, I need a second chance here now. 
God, Lord, help me. Please help me, Lord. My heart was crushed at that moment because I realized God was offering something and I was saying, oh, it's okay. You old religious thing, you. <laughs> That's what I felt about myself. I'm like, no, it ain't okay. If the Father is saying, I'll pick them up for you. And I'll give you those dreams again. You, you need to be saying, yes, that's the right response, no matter how you feel about them. If he's saying, I'm going to speak life into those dreams and bring them forth, you need to let him speak life into those dreams and bring them forth. And you need to let him put them back in your heart and let them do what they... You know what it is? Is Sometimes you get beat to death by your dreams and you don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. That's why you feel, I don't want nothing to do with that dream. I'm kind of thankful I don't want to mess with it no more, Lord, honestly. That's sort of refreshing not to think about that. And people ask you about it like, oh, well, yeah, I'm just waiting on the Lord. But truthfully, I'm saying, praise God, I buried that thing. It's over in the cemetery over there. You know, if you want to go visit the dream, go to the cemetery. You can visit at the cemetery. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, the dreams sometimes die, right? And they're never, death is never easy, you know. It's hard to let things die. Some of the dreams that died really hard on me, man. I mean, I died a million deaths, honestly. Nobody was knowing it. Maybe Becky did. I've died a million deaths in this church in the last two or three years. You know, and it's because of the dreams. And that's why when God was talking about picking them up again, it was like, nah. <laughs> I I'm done dying. You know, I don't want to die on something else now. Sometimes, you know, a dream, a ministry, a business, a something, a marriage, or whatever, they die these long, slow deaths. You know, it's like somebody who's dying, and you love them, you don't want to lose them. But then you come to the point like, Lord, you got to take them, because they're suffering too much. And you ain't healing them, they can, you need to get them out of here. You need to get them into glory. That's the way I felt about some of my dreams, like, please take them. They need to be in glory because they're, they're killing me, Lord. They're destroying me. They're taking everything out of me because I have done everything I know to do to keep them alive and you ain't done nothing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> kind of was like, oh, we're still good though, right, Lord? I'm good that you did. Now I'm really happy you did nothing, Lord. Now please don't keep start doing anything. Don't, don't even think about raising that thing up. Just don't go to the grave. We're not going to the cemetery. I'm not going over there. It's the terrible thing. This is a terrible thing that happens to people, though. If something dies, and it's dead, it's buried, but it hadn't died in them. Now, that's a bad day. I've seen people like that. The thing's dead, it's done, but it ain't dead and done in them, and it's killing them. So you're carrying this dead corpse around you, with you that's poisoning you. Some of you have that, and you just need to put that thing down. You never get a chance for resurrection as long as you're carrying it. Never. God will not resurrect that thing because you got your hands on it and you refuse to let go of it. When you're willing to let go of it, you give God a chance to do what He will. He may choose to resurrect it or He may say, well, you know. Anyways. So, one of the things that's contrary. Are you all right? I'm supposed to be done in nine minutes. I better hurry. Because I got to tell you the main thing. <laughs> some, some people never find their way back from their broken dreams, their dead dreams. They never, they never find their way back. They, they get lost somewhere. Because it died, and they just—it's like they stay in this perpetual. I know a man, a man called me one day, a thirty-something-year-old man, and was talking to me. His daddy had been dead for three years. His, this is a grown man with children and a wife, and he could not get over it. And I was thinking, dude, this guy's 38 years old. He's a daddy of himself, and he can't, he, he can't let go of his dead daddy. He was carrying his dead daddy around in his heart. And it was destroying his marriage. That's why he was calling me. His marriage was being destroyed because he was, couldn't let go of his daddy. And his daddy was an old man. He was supposed to die. It wasn't like he died prematurely. You know, grief is a terrible thing. It's a wonderful thing, but it can become a terrible thing. It'll trap you if you're not careful. And that's what had happened to that man. But he got out of it. Praise God. I, it was the Holy Spirit. 
you know, we're told in our lives, we're always encouraged, like, achieve your goals, go after your dreams. Do, don't give up. Never give up. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Don't do it. <laughs> and then you come to the day when your dream is dead and you have to give up. That is a terrible day in your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what it's like to have a dream you poured everything into and you have to stand there and watch it lowered into the ground and watch it pile dirt on it? It's terrible. You die a million deaths. You want to get in the ground with it. And some people do. Am I being too loud? (laughs) Some people get in the ground with it. Thank God he didn't let me get in the ground with mine. You know, I probably would have if I didn't have other reasons to keep me from doing it. Well, I'm supposed to tell you why our dreams die. I wrote it down here. Let me just tell you real quick and then tell you the main thing, okay? I feel like God's saying, number one, dreams die because things change. You change. Sometimes you discover that the dream was not really God's dream. You pursued it all that time like, well, you know, how many high school graduates declare, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be an engineer, and then they get in college like, I am not going to be a doctor, I am not going to be an engineer, I'm going to study music. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the change of a dream. You know? Sometimes spiritually we have those things. We shift our dreams. There's nothing wrong with it because we change. Life changes. And you realize, well, God has a better dream for me than this. This is a crummy dream. It's a better dream for somebody else, but for me it's crummy. It would have been a crummy dream for me to be a doctor, honestly. That's a crummy dream. I know a man. Let me Speaking of doctors, let me tell you, I work with a guy. Went to medical school, went through his internship, actually helped deliver babies in the hospital, you know, what the interns do, and decided in the middle, like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Literally, and went back to school to be, he was a, became a mechanical engineer. I said, man, what is your problem? You, want, you could have been a doctor making all that money. He said, mm, they can have their money. I didn't like it. That wasn't what I was made for. I did it because my father-in-law convinced me to do it. I'm happy being a mechanical engineer. You know, that was a smart man. Although I thought he was dumb. Because <laughs> I was in it for the money, you know. Like I'm, I'm being an engineer for money, man. I'm not doing it for a dream. I'm doing it because i got to make a living to support my dreams. So I want to make a lot of money to support my dreams. That's it. That's my thoughts about work. All right, but anyways. Uh, sometimes our dreams die because of circumstances in our life. A sickness, a death, the economy collapses. There are things in this world that you cannot control that can have an effect on your dreams. They can destroy your dreams. They really can. Okay? You can't, and I'm and you're like, oh, well, why ain't God stopping it? Well, that's another story, but, you know, you, we work with God on deals. He wants us involved in it, which brings up the last, the third thing is... Sometimes our dreams die because of what we do or don't do. You know, sometimes we associate with the wrong people. Sometimes we do things that are not wise. You know what I'm saying? You do stuff that don't, you shouldn't do. You think you're doing the right thing, but it's the wrong thing. You, it's failure, and you cause the you cause the dream to crash and burn. It dies because of something you did, mistakes you made. You weren't wise enough. You didn't get good counsel. You wouldn't listen to counsel. You wouldn't surround yourself with people who could help you. You were arrogant. You were full of pride. You were full of foolishness. You were immature. Do you see, all these things can affect a dream. I mean, it ain't like we're living in this utopia. God had a dream for Adam and Eve. Look what they did, right? They did something. They listened to the wrong counsel, right? You know? And some people... Let me just read this. I wrote this down. Many fail to understand to see our dreams succeed always always requires us to change and adapt our dreams along the way because seldom the dream we begin with is the dream we end with. In other words, people are inflexible. This is the dream. It has to be looked like this. And the Lord was saying, really? 
And you're going to force something that God has said. I'm not, that ain't how I want it. You need, things are changing. You need to change. Times have changed. Change. Be different. Let your dream adapt and change. And some people refuse to do that. They're inflexible. Okay. Lord have mercy. That says be teachable and humble. If you want to keep your dream alive, just always be humble and be teachable. Always don't think you're the expert. Always think I need help. I need somebody to tell me what I'm doing. You know, speak into my life. I don't care who you are. And let young people speak into your life. Let old people, let your peers, let people who can look and see things that you can't see because you're in the middle of it. And it blinds you at times. And, and other people have different perspectives. That's wisdom to do that. You know, it's not wisdom when we won't listen. And when God brings, I've had people come in my life telling me stuff three or four times. And I realize, oh, this must be God because this is the fourth person who's told me this. I better pay attention and heed this, even though I'm disagreeing with it. I need to heed what they're saying. Anyways, I wanted to read this last scripture and tell you this. This is what I believe the Lord's telling me and you. Okay, I'm going to read John 12, 20, verse 24 through 26 in the Passion Translation. Everybody say Passion Translation. The Passion Translation was written to capture the passion of the writers. That's what they try to pull out. The people who, like the beloved disciple John, wrote this, and the, the translator tried to pull out his passion, which I think they've done a great job. You know, I love this. I love this translation. It is my current favorite one. But I think I would encourage all of you to get multiple translations of the Bible and read multiple translations. You know, when I get tired of reading the Bible, I'm like, I need to change translations. And with devices, like smart devices, you can have a wealth of biblical knowledge with a few punches. Everywhere you go, you're carrying 30 or 40 different translations of the Bible with you. So you can sit down Hit your break and read a few scriptures. It's amazing when you do that. Let me make this clear. This is Jesus talking. I love that. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Isn't that good? No, that ain't. That don't feel good. That means your single dream is just going to say your single dream until it drops in the ground dies because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat all because one grain died now we know this that's Jesus that's what he's talking he's talking about himself but we also know this by reading the rest of it it's people who follow Jesus okay because that's what he talks about right away he's saying this is what's going to happen to me and I can guarantee you, if you follow me, expect the same. And I think one of the ways that happens to us, when we talk about dying, we need to die to say, let's erase that. Your dreams are going to die. There's going to come a point in your secret greatest desires, you're going to have to bury them because it's a grain of wheat. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. I'm going to pamper my dream. Because see, if my dream is a part of who I am, I'm pampering myself. I'm going to protect my dream. I'm going to fight for my dream. I'm going to have this dream. And the Lord's saying, well, quit pampering it because you're going to miss everything. I know this is sort of contrary to popular Christian theology but I don't really care about proper Christian theology I would really have the theology of the Lord that's what I'm looking for but the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever you see at the end of the day we're going to have to find Jesus in the middle of whatever you're going through that's right I mean right we're going to have to find this person a person you know in the end, you know, really, it's him. It's, it's not, it's, he's more important than our dreams. But the one who detaches life in this world and abandons him here will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me and you will go where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father 
will shower his favor upon your life. And he will shower his favor upon your dreams. After he has let your dreams die and let you bury them, then he says, hey, I'm going to go pick them dreams up for you. Would you like them back? And then you have to make a decision about those dreams. You have to make a decision. So, hey, can I give you one great example about a dreamer and a person who lost their dream? You want to hear a great example? Can we give Barbara Watts a big hand this morning? You know, we got this word from Bob Jones, and this is what the word was. Y'all need to learn how to feed people here. Like, oh, I don't really want to do that, Lord. I know how that, I know that business. Remember that? So Becky and I was, a couple of days later, after he gave us that word, we were sitting in this restaurant, and there was these people from this other church that feed people. And they were talking about feeding people. And they were like, mm, this has gotten out of control. They're sending people from Charlotte up here. We just can't keep doing this. We're tired. We're wore out. They, somebody else in this community needs to start feeding people just besides us. And we were sitting there like, and they were saying, talking real loud at the table. We weren't trying to eavesdrop. They were talking loud. I mean, I, we heard the whole conversation. <laughs> and I was more convinced there, we should not do this. <laughs> we should not do this. And Becky was saying, that's the Lord, Byron. Bob just told us that. And now we're hearing these people, we better do something about this. And I'm thinking, no, we shouldn't do anything about this. I'm not doing this. I don't want to do this, Lord. But I think, you know. And then Barbara Watts shows up. I don't remember exactly how, but Becky, Becky was meeting with her, and she brings up this thing that Barbara Watts at one time had this tremendous ministry of feeding people. I'm talking about she was... Barbara Watts knows all about state regulations, about temperatures. She's telling me all that stuff. I'm thinking, why are you telling me this? I don't want to know anything about regulations. I don't want to know anything about temperatures that you've got to keep food. I don't want to know what certain uh, cultures like to eat. I don't care about that because I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> that was what was going on. But I was realizing, God, Barbara lost that ministry. She lost her dream. God called her. It was a huge thing that she was doing. It was a magnet, not here, but somewhere else. And she lost it. She lost it all. And God spoke to her and said, I'm going to pick that dream up for you, Barbara. Do you want it? That's where the Father's table came from. And it's just begun. It's not, this is a tiny drop compared to what she can do and what God's put in her. But I tell you, she was willing to pick that dream up. And she was crushed by that dream when she lost it. Crushed. It destroyed her. It ate her up. Right, Barbara? But praise God for victory, right? Praise God for resurrection. Yes. Yes. I believe this. I believe what I'm telling you is the Lord this morning. I believe, this is what I believe, and I'm going to finish because I'm seven minutes over and I preach a long time and I told Becky the other day, I am sick and tired of hearing long preachers. <laughs> if I hear another long preacher, I'm going to run away. You know, I believe that God wants to teach us how to dream again. That's what he's saying. I want to teach you how to dream again. I want to get you back into the dream mode. Uh, I believe he wants to fulfill our dreams. Okay? I believe there's dreams that we've let go of. He said, I want to pick them up for you now. It's time. And it may not be the way we anticipate. I feel like that was one of the things he was saying. It may not be the way you think it's going to be. But if we're open to his heart... That's the adventure. And that will change us when we begin to embrace those dreams again. Y'all following that? Now I want to say this. It's a risky business to dream. For dreaming leaves us open to disappointment and discouragement. So you're going to be taking a risk if you commit yourself to this. If you haven't already. But some of you I know have done it and quit. But I think that when we stop dreaming, a part of us dies. That's what I see in some people. I see death in them. A part of you die because you quit dreaming. Not only did your dream die, you died. You've got you to gotta let the Lord pick that up and let Him do something with it. And so my conclusion is, I think it's time to dream again. Knowing this, at the end of the day, God, that's what He said, Nothing's impossible. Nothing. That's what he's saying. Nothing's impossible. 
All right. Amen. Thank you. Isn't the Lord good? Lord, this heart needs a second chance. If you want to say that to the Lord about your dream this morning, stand up. Just stand up right where you're at. And I want you to say that to the Lord. Lord, this heart needs a second chance. This heart needs a second chance, Lord. Lord, if you want to pick that dream up, as much as I would rather not even think about that dream today, I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. And you may be a person who don't know what your dreams are. You haven't gotten there yet. That's good. That's a good place to be. You're saying, Lord, I'm on the journey now. I'm, I'm going into the land of living my true self. I'm going to become a dreamer. I'm going to get the dreams of God going in my life. I'm going to find out what they are. I'm going to pray over them. I'm going to think about them. I'm going to talk about them. I'm going to find people that want to listen to me. and I'm going to tell them about my dreams. And I'm going to weep over those dreams because I'm going to water those dreams with my tears, Lord. I'm going to water my tears. And I'm going to put my hands on those dreams. Lord, even if it's putting my hands in the air, and I'm going to bless those dreams. And I'm going to speak life to those dreams, Lord. And I'm going to look at like what you did with that when you said Israel was laying in a pool of blood like a little baby with his navel cord uncut. And you looked at that baby and you said, Live! I'm going to do that with that dream, Lord. I'm going to say, live. I'm going to speak life into it. I'm going to speak life into it, Lord. And it's going to live, Lord. It's going to live. Because your breath is going to be on it, Lord. Your breath is going to be on it, Lord. And, and I'm letting go of my need for to control it, my need to make it look a certain way or act a certain way or be a certain way. I just let go of all that today, Lord. I don't want that. It'll kill me, Lord. And I'll kill it, but I'm just going to speak life over it. And I'm going to do what you ask me to do, Lord. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. And I think if you have that heart towards the Lord today, God will do something.